If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do each week to be here with us in this place this morning and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. A couple of years ago, some of you may actually remember this, the big toe on my right foot stopped working properly. It was very strange. Nothing in particular happened. I didn't have any kind of injury that I could remember. I didn't drop a knife on my toe as one physician suggested I might have. Uh, the toe just sort of stopped working. You know what, what, it, what it stopped doing was being able to straighten out. It sort of would sag down like it was trying to curl under and I couldn't lift it back up again. It wasn't hammer toe where where the toe forces itself to curl. This was more like lazy toe. Like it found being straight just too exhausting. So it would go and sag. And so I went to a physical therapist and then to a couple of foot doctors and they all said the exact same thing. That's so weird. (laughs) Now, as you might imagine, this is a totally unsatisfying thing to hear from a doctor. It's not helpful to hear that what's going on with you is so weird. That's not a diagnosis. It doesn't lead to a solution. So it was a great relief when I finally went to an orthopedist who told me what was wrong with my toe. He said that I had, and I'm not making this up, cocked up toe. Apparently that's a real thing. Cocked up toe. But listen, as ridiculous as that sounds, as made up as it sounds, it's actually a diagnosis that has a cure. In my case, the cure involved breaking my toe on purpose and inserting a steel screw and a giant steel staple. And now, after a painful recovery, during which I couldn't drive for six weeks and had to sort of hobble around on my heel, my toe is working properly again. Now, I always set off the scanner at the airport, but that's a small price to pay for one, knowing what was wrong, and two, being able to get it fixed. Now, these are the two things that doctors do, right? They tell you what's wrong, and then they fix it. Now, it's easy for us, or at least for me, to think of them as just fixers, but I think it's as important that they can tell us what's wrong in the first place. They don't just heal us, they diagnose us too. And this diagnostic function is something that doctors are bound to perform no matter who is sitting in the examination room with them. Their job is to name the problem no matter who you are. In Acts chapter 11, Peter has a vision 
Now, there's been some consternation in the church about non-Jews becoming Christians without becoming Jews first. It seemed to the Jews that the Messiah had been sent to them, God's chosen people, and it was hard for them to wrap their minds around a broader message of salvation that might be for everyone. So when they criticize Peter for going to eat with uncircumcised people, that is non-Jews, Peter explains his rationale. And here's what he says. This is Acts 11, beginning in verse 5. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answers from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled up again to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. So what happens here? Peter has a vision of these ceremonially unclean things, things that Jews would not have been allowed to eat, and he hears a voice from heaven telling him that God has now called these things clean. And so Peter is not to make a distinction between Jews and non-Jews, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, between them and us. The good news is for everyone. Okay, wait a minute. This needs a word of explanation. What does this say about the law of God? Are we supposed to now make no distinctions? Is God saying that there's now no such thing as unclean? That anything and everything is acceptable? Well, we certainly see the world acting as if that's exactly what God has said. As though the good news is something like, You're okay just the way you are. And reading about this vision, you could be forgiven for thinking that it means that the law is at best meaningless and at worst actually a bad thing, standing in the way of the good news of the gospel. After all, the law separates people, unclean, clean, righteous, sinful. I'm reminded of St. Paul, after talking about being released from the law, saying the same, wait a minute, that I just said, but in Romans 7. What shall we say then, he says, is the law sinful? And here's Paul's answer. By no means, certainly not. Is the law sinful? Certainly not, says St. Paul. So Peter's vision can't mean that everything is okay just the way it is. That people are okay just the way they are. So how is it that we can understand 
what God is saying to Peter and us through this vision and make sense of the rest of the Bible, which seems to spell out pretty clearly that God makes divisions between things, that there is righteousness and unrighteousness, that there is clean and unclean, that people are not okay just the way they are. And the key, I think, comes in the people's reaction to Peter's telling of his vision. Remember, Peter is describing the vision to people who are angry with him because he's eating with uncircumcised Christians. But when they hear about the vision, Luke writes in Acts, they were silenced and they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And that's the key phrase. The repentance that leads to life. When I finally went to the right orthopedist, he had to give me bad news. He had to give me a diagnosis. There was something seriously wrong with my toe. And he'd taken the Hippocratic Oath, right? He was duty-bound to name the problem. It was his job to tell me what was wrong with me. Now, no one likes to be told what's wrong with them. It's one of the reasons we hate going to the doctor. And it's a big cause of friction that people have with the church. How dare you say that God wants me to be different than the way I am? Now, you have the same sort of feeling walking into the doctor's office or that you might have in church that you had that sort of low, curdling dread that you used to have walking into the principal's office, don't you? The feeling is the same. You're about to be told what's wrong with you. But there's an important difference between the doctor's office and the principal's office. In both places, you're going to get a diagnosis. But in only one place are you going to get the cure. The principal says that there's something wrong with you and then just punishes you for it. The doctor says there's something wrong with you and then heals you. And the church is a doctor's office. So while it's perfectly true and totally understandable that nobody likes to be told what's wrong with them, that's the repentance that leads to life. We don't want to hear it, but it opens the road to healing. The message of Peter's vision then is not that everyone is okay just the way they are. It's not You're okay no matter who you are. It's that you're not okay no matter who you are. But of course, it doesn't end there. With the gospel, we never end there. Here's the end. Though you're not okay no matter who you are, no matter who you are, the repentance that leads to life is available to you. God gives the same gift to everyone. Not because everyone is worthy of it, but because everyone needs it. 
And our diagnosis is more terminal than cocked up toe. We have made idols for ourselves. We lust. We bear false witness. We covet. And the wages of these things is death. We are in the doctor's office and he has closed the door and asked us to sit down. He's got bad news. We're going to die. Now this makes Peter's vision something more than just an abstract theological concept. This is not just an academic paper on how Gentiles can be grafted into the family of God. It means that, sure, but it means something for you, too. And not just because you are probably a Gentile. Remember, it's not that the Gentiles are also good enough to qualify along with the Jews. It's not that the Gentiles are also clean enough to qualify along with the Jews. It's that every sinner can be covered by the blood of Christ. And that is the good news for you. Everyone who has been given a terminal diagnosis has had the Son of God die for them. Every sinner, even you, has been offered the repentance that leads to life. And of course, even this repentance is itself a gift. It comes like a thunderclap, unbidden, and knocks us off our high horses. And I mean that literally, right? Saul of Tarsus, breathing threats against Christians, was on the road to Damascus, firmly ensconced in his us and them thinking, right? He was righteous. They were not. He was clean. They were not. He was worthy. They were not. But the repentance that leads to life came to him. It knocked him down and struck him blind. But it came. This repentance then is a repentance that happens to you. It's not like the voice that summons you to the principal's office. It's not a voice that renders a judgment and then leaves you alone. This is the voice of the great physician. Yes, it tells you what's wrong with you. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It gives you a diagnosis. You're not okay. But then it heals you. It resurrects you. And then commissions you to go out into the world. Living that new life you've been given and proclaiming the good news about the forgiveness that you've received. Like the voice of God calling to Abram, this repentance comes unbidden. It comes to God's enemies. It comes to the unclean. It comes to thieves on crosses next to Jesus whose repentance amounts to nothing more than a begging for Jesus to remember him. But this repentance is for beggars. It's for the unworthy. And it has one thing to say. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that new life, 
is yours. Because you need it as much as anyone. You're not okay, no matter who you are. But no matter who you are, Jesus is for you. Amen.